It's concert season, and concert season is all about the boots. Already, Oxford and Ole Miss have seen Morgan Wallen lighted up at Vaught-Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss football star and Talk of Champions podcaster Jared Ivey bemoaned how his boots were lacking. He should have gone with Tecovis, the only stop for the Ole Miss fan and the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings for the spring and summer, including timeless, always-on-trend styles in men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Stop by your local Tecovis store and have a complimentary drink or two on the house while you shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service, and many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The sun's a-shining in Oxford, Mississippi. Cookouts in the Grove. Beer showers. It's just the very best time for an Ole Miss Rebel to get out and get going. Carry front door peace of mind with you everywhere you go with Eufy Video Lock. Never has home security been so easy. Eufy Video Lock, an all-in-one security device for your front door, allows you to keep an eye on everything back home. And it's so easy. Installation requires only a screwdriver. So ditch those house keys forever and give Eufy Video Lock a try today. There's no monthly fee, and Eufy Video Lock has customer support on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. Go ahead, have your home as fun in the sun with the assurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock's built-in camera can tell you who's at your front door from the comfort of your poolside chair. So search Eufy Video Lock today. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of this, the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. You're tuned into an all-new edition of Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. No Bradley Sal today, just David Brandt for an hour. Brandt works for the Associated Press, used to be back here in Mississippi, but now out in Arizona. We're going to go through the entire SEC as well as the potential coaching carousel this offseason. Before we get into it, let's hear from my bookie. Ever since I started out, people have been asking me for advice on all kinds of things. But in covering sports, it's usually about who's going to win and what team they should bet on. Well, the best piece of advice I can give to anyone is where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. It's why I always tell people to visit my bookie. They've got the deposit matches, free bets, and huge cash prize contests for you to take advantage of all season long. NFL action, check. College football, check. Plus, they have a mobile-friendly website and top-of-the-line customer service, making their platform a one-stop shop for all your betting needs. MyBookie offers action on everything from championship futures to NFL in-game live betting, making sure you're covered every step of the way. Congrats if you were one of the ones to cash in on the generous early season odds on the Lakers to win the NBA championship. Sign up at MyBookie today. And when you do, use my promo code, TOC, for Talk of Champions, TOC, to claim a deposit match, dollar for dollar, all the way up to 1000 bucks. It's a bonus designed to give you a little help and a head start on your winning season. That's promo code TOC, TOC, for Talk of Champions, for you to claim your bonus when you make your deposit. Stacked UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all the major sports and more await you. Sign up today to begin your winning season exclusively at MyBookie.
You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. Good friend of the program coming back on right now. It's David Brandt of the Associated Press on the Modern Woodman phone line. What's up, man? How you doing? Doing well, man. Just in the middle of NFL season out here and keeping up with things. So uh, the Cardinals played the Dolphins yesterday. I got to see Tua play his second NFL start, and he was good. They they beat the Cardinals. So that's kind of what we've been uh, working on out here. Former Ole Miss top recruiting target, Tua Tangalavua. You got to put it that way. However you want to put it, that that's fine. But he was very good. He, uh, you know, was him against Kyler Murray, and it, it lived up to the hype. Kyler Murray was really good too. The the Cardinals defense was just banged up, and they got a couple guys on the the COVID list, and they just couldn't keep up. But it, it was a really good game. It was, and I watched pretty much all of it. And the Cowboys game wasn't nearly as fun. But I don't want to get into too much of that so much as the SEC schedule, what went down. You used to cover the SEC. You were back here in Mississippi. You were covering the SEC every single weekend, and you know this area, this conference. What do we know about the SEC right now, halfway through? Well, it was funny. I was looking at the the standings before just, you know, checking it out again. And, like, I mean, it, it's it's just interesting that the more things – change the more they kind of stay the same I mean teams kind of go up and down a little bit and things change some but you know Alabama's streak now is 13 years of being number one at least one week which is incredible you know you think about that I mean that's basically my entire time covering college football in the SEC that they've been number one at least one week and and then the challengers are are similar I I think one surprise that I've seen lately is I thought Texas A&M didn't look very good the first week or two of the season but um, they're, they're really coming on and, and, you know, they've already lost Alabama, so I don't know if they can get the West, but, um, it'll be interesting if they finish nine and one, just if they can get in the playoff picture or not. Um, you know, Florida, Georgia always seems like it decides the East looks like that's going to be the case again this year. Um, you know, and, and teams like Tennessee and Kentucky have moments where they look like they're contenders. And then most of the time they don't. So, um, it's just been kind of interesting to see everything, even in this, obviously, I, I hate saying it, but, you know, these weird times, um, you know, the SEC is, is, is somewhat normal in a lot of ways. It's Alabama and everybody else. Even if Texas A&M grants you playing well, makes it into the playoff, they can't beat Alabama. Yeah, I mean, it would take, I, I don't like to use the phrase can't because I do think there's a, a scenario where Alabama had a really bad day and Texas A&M had a good day where it could happen. There's um, always yeah, a I mean, chance when teams line up. I get that, but still. <laughs> On any given Saturday, Ben. Um, no, but yeah, I'd give Alabama a, a solid 90, 95% chance of winning that game. I mean, Alabama's really, really good. That program still hasn't lost a step. Mac Jones has been really good for them. Um, yeah, I mean, they're the, they're, the, they're the class of the SEC, no question. They got LSU, Kentucky, Auburn, Arkansas. They're winning out. They should. 
they should absolutely. There's really nobody that's, you know, they haven't been challenged super hard yet. I'm looking through their schedule right now. I mean, they've won all their games by at least 17 points, like including Georgia. And, you know, they blew out Texas A&M. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'd be somewhat surprised if any game was, was less than two touchdowns. If Alabama is on a collision course with Florida, is there any real chance you see a Florida beating an Alabama? Because Florida didn't impress you at all against Georgia. Yeah, Florida, I mean, they got off to a late start. They weren't great. But, yeah, actually, I do think Florida will be by far the best team they've played. I, I think Florida's interesting because they, they just have such – you know, they could score some points. And I think if they're on that day, they could really – put some pressure on Alabama. I'm not saying they're going to win, obviously, but I, I'm saying they have the capability. They have some players that are really, really good, you know, especially a receiver tight end and the types of things that, that could feasibly turn that into a shootout and win a game 48 to 44 or something like that. I, I think that's possible, but I'd certainly give Alabama the advantage. Um, but I, I think that will be the hardest game Alabama plays all year. I take that back. Florida defensively looked pretty stout. This wasn't the same Florida defense we saw Ole Miss shred, even though Ole Miss got beat by 16 points. This Florida defense has really come on. And that's what you look for this late in the season, which teams are peaking at the right time. Texas A&M is one of those teams. So if you're Ole Miss and you're looking at your final final four games, well, you might dream of winning out and going 6-4. and four. Texas A&M is peaking at the right time. You can get LSU. You can get Mississippi State. You can get South Carolina this weekend. But Texas A&M, that's going to be the biggest test. Of course, Ole Miss can't overlook anybody. But you get what I'm saying. At this point in the year, which teams are peaking at the right time? Florida defensively, Alabama is playing Alabama ball. And Texas A&M, I would argue right now, even though this is the same Texas A&M team that got beat pretty bad by Alabama on October 3rd, this Texas A&M team is the second-best team in the conference. Georgia's the one that you thought was going to contend, but we've been saying this with Georgia forever in regards to competing with Alabama for the top title in the league. But right now, it's Florida and Texas A&M. Can one of those two teams, be it Texas A&M in the playoff or Florida in the SEC championship game, knock them off? But I don't think there's anything that's going to be keeping Alabama from being one of the playoff teams. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think with Georgia, just, you know, college football and pro football for that matter has, has turned into just such an offensive game. Um, you got to score points. There's, just, you know, occasionally there's a, a low scoring, you know, kind of old school type game, but a lot of games are in the forties or at least the thirties and Georgia just with their quarterback situation right now is just not super consistent in that regard. And when a team like, you know, that's why teams like Florida, where I was looking at their schedule and they scored at least what 40 points in every game or close. Yeah. They scored 38 in the loss to Texas A&M and they beat South Carolina 38 to 24. So every game this year, they've scored at least 38 points. And I think that always gives in, in 2020, you can't have games where you score 17 points and expect to pull out a win. Is it time now that we no longer say, Arkansas is a good team that was expected to finish poorly or finish last in the conference. At this point, they're just a pretty good team. They're just a good team. Yeah, they, I mean, you know, sometimes that's been an impressive hire. I mean, I didn't know much about Sam Pittman and, 
you know, I thought that was kind of underwhelming, but I mean, they've, they've really, you know, they, their three wins are Tennessee, Ole Miss, Mississippi state. They've taken care of business against, you know, some winnable games. And, uh, you know, you look at their schedule, they've still got LSU and Mizzou uh, on the schedule. They could pretty easily go five and five. Their other two games are Florida and Alabama, which is obviously going to be tough, but um, yeah, they've, they've figured out a way to be competitive and, you know, Arkansas, just went through that awful stretch where, I mean, you know, you could say what you want about Arkansas's program, but they should never lose. How many SEC games did they lose in a row? Like, what was it? Like 17 or something like it. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. I mean, Arkansas should never be in, in that position. So I, I, you know, I think Pittman was a good hire kind of in the mold, you know, when Dan Mullen got hired at, uh, at, at Mississippi state. Sure. You know, he was kind of an up and coming assistant, but you just didn't know if that was going to be a good fit, but ended up being a great fit, obviously. And I, I think you're seeing, you know, at least initially the same type of thing at uh, Arkansas. If Arkansas is the surprise team of the year, the most impressive surprise team of the year is Tennessee. Then the most disappointing should be contender of the year. I was about to, cause I thought you were going there and, and my mind immediately went to Tennessee. You just keep waiting. You know, Jared Guarantano has been in the league for 17 years. Um, you know, you, you just kept waiting for Tennessee, especially us, you know, people who have been around a little while, like it's gotten to the point with Tennessee where if you're under 25, you don't really remember Tennessee ever being any good, really you know, like a, like a really good, like top 10 team like that. When was the last time that happened? You know, 2006, seven, you know, I mean, like where, where they were really consistently an sec contender, um, you know, and they, they just kind of seem to be stuck in neutral at times. They'll look okay. Um, but you know, they look like a four and six team and now they've lost four straight games. They've got Texas A&M coming up. They've got Auburn on the road. They'll probably get Vanderbilt, but there's a great chance they go three and seven this year, which, you know, obviously I think at this point is, is not a step in the right direction for that program. The question is with guys like Jeremy Pruitt, boom, Gus Malzahn, what kind of coaching cycle landscape are we going to even be facing with COVID? Yeah, there's no question. I mean, COVID, you know, cause I, you know, I know, we all think that SEC schools have unlimited money and they, you know, some, they kind of do, but you know, this is, this is thrown people's balance sheets off a little bit. And are, are you willing to make a big, bold move right now, spend a lot of money and, you know, and who's going to be out there, what coaches are available. It's just, it's going to be a different, this is happening in all kinds of sports, you know, major league baseball free agency is going to be weird. Same with NBA and all that stuff. It's just, you know, setting the market, figuring out what's out there, if it's better to just kind of go with the status quo, just because things are so weird with recruiting right now and everything. Um, but it, it's, yeah, I mean, at some point there's no question with a, with a Maldon or a Pruitt, you know, is it time to just kind of try something else? We'll get right back to David Brant in this edition of talk of champions. After I tell you briefly about Chinese pharmacy and Alan Samuels, Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford, two proud sponsors of talk of champions. Believe it, the return of Ole Miss football has arrived. The Rebels are playing. Really, it's happening. But as exciting a time as it is, make sure you're staying safe. And that includes trusting that your pharmacy has you taken care of. Well, there's only one pharmacy in Oxford, Mississippi that can do just that. Cheney's Pharmacy. 
a locally owned pharmacy that's been in Oxford for over 40 years, as red and blue as the rebels themselves. Chinese Pharmacy offers prescription synchronization, immunizations, compounding, a two-lane drive-through and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Cheney's also accepts all third-party insurance. Cheney's Pharmacy provides the best customer service out there. Hands down, it's not close. So give Cheney's a call, 662-234-7221, or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday, 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can visit them online at cheneyspharmacy.com. Stay safe, enjoy some football, and make sure your pharmacy is one you can trust. Cheney's Pharmacy. Much more than just a pharmacy. Celebrate! Ole Miss football, it's here. We made it. We made it. Yeah, the season looks a little different, but some normalcy has returned. Now's as good a time as any then to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Think about it. Riding around in your new Jeep Gladiator, your Ole Miss car flag flying on your way to see the Rebels play, can you believe it, in style. Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford has you covered, and no, you don't have to worry about COVID-19. They're open for all of your vehicle needs, taking extra precautions to ensure your car buying process is as seamless and safe as possible. Even better, they're offering customers the opportunity to purchase a vehicle completely over the phone or the internet with the delivery to your home. You pick out the vehicle you like, simply contact them by phone, email, through the website, and they'll prepare the paperwork review it with you on the phone, and bring it and your vehicle to your home to finalize. So what are you waiting for? Why not? Why not now? Give them a call. 662-638-0044. That's 662-638-0044. Visit them online at allensamuelsoxford.com or see them in person. Socially distance, of course, at 2201 East University Avenue. That's just past Kroger. Allen Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. Let's be friends. Is Hugh Freeze a coach in the SEC again next year? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, I'm going to say no. I don't think – because, I mean, what realistically, what jobs do you think are going to open? South Carolina. South Carolina. Vanderbilt, do you think that opens? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think Derek Mason like doesn't give it. I, I don't think Derek Mason gets enough credit. I know that the recent results haven't been good, but Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. James Franklin, he set a precedent as far as what you can succeed, how you can succeed at Vanderbilt that, quite frankly, will never be matched again. So expecting yeah, somebody else, yeah. So expecting some other coach to do what James Franklin did is asking too much. And Derek Mason keeps you competitive. I think Vanderbilt, private institution, it's not going to be dealing with the same type of restrictions financially as a Tennessee might or a South Carolina might. Vanderbilt always finds a way to find the money. So if they want to make the move, they can. But Hugh Freeze is not going to Vanderbilt. I think an obvious place that there will be an opening is South Carolina. Boom feels like he's on his last legs. Yeah, South Carolina makes a lot of sense, too, just because location right now. Obviously, Liberty's out on the East Coast. It's fairly close over there. You know, I mean, Liberty's making waves nationally, but I, I think over there, people are probably seeing it even more. I, I think that he would be a pretty good fit there, and you know he'll be he'll be wanting that job um, if it comes open. But, I mean, there's no, what he's done at Liberty has been 
incredibly impressive. That's, you know, I, I know they have a little bit of money in that program, but that's probably not an easy place to recruit. Um, and, and he can coach a little football, man. There's no question, especially offensively. So I, I, at this point I would still, cause I just think it's South Carolina. It's just going to be, there's a lot of red flags with you freeze. It's still pretty, you know, are, are there some other, but he'll definitely be in the mix. Um, I'm going to go with no, I don't think he'll get that job, but I certainly think it's in the realm of possibility. I will say this. I have come around. I interviewed freeze for this podcast before the year and I beat Hugh freeze to death on this podcast and our relationship. And you and I've talked about this off the record a number of times, even on the record too. But a lot of our conversations have involved my Rocky relationship with Hugh Freeze. And I have completely come around, and this is going to surprise a lot of people, but I'm of the opinion now, knowing everything we know and how Ross Bjork kind of set him up, that frankly he shouldn't have been fired. Shouldn't have been fired. I, I mean, at that point, they had gone down the road so far with, it was, you know, you got to take events as they were happening at the time. And I think it was just, Ole Miss just didn't have much of a choice at that point. I think they did. Um, at that point, you had been dug well, in so I mean, much. You, I think effectively. Well, right. And look, I like Ross Bjork a lot personally. I do. But at that point, you had dug in so much and said Hugh Freeze is our head coach that now looking back on it, once we've put some distance between when that happens and now with Lane Kiffin coaching Ole Miss, it feels like the move to get rid of Freeze was more of an act of self-preservation for Ross Bjork than it was Hugh Freeze. And I know after he got fired, he was spending his time in Oxford, he was on the golf course a lot, and Hugh Freeze was openly questioning why Ole Miss fired him. And that seemed so insane to me considering everything that surfaced but now looking back on it and knowing what we know and Ross Bjork jumping to Texas A&M it kind of reeks of self-preservation to where a lot of things because of Hugh Freeze being fired was put in motion such as Matt Luke becoming a head coach not succeeding now he's at Georgia Lane Kiffin's at Ole Miss all these things Hugh Freeze wasn't able to be held to account for the first year of Matt Luke and the struggles of Phil Longo and Wesley McGriff, the two hires that Hugh Freeze made. There are a lot of things that you can put into that. My point is this. I'm with you. Hugh Freeze can coach. Taking away my personal relationship with the guy, and I acknowledge he and I have a rocky relationship, but we're on good terms now. We're fine. I honestly believe he shouldn't have been fired when he was, and now... He's gone to a place at Liberty where he's rehabilitated his image because that's all you got. That's all you got to do is keep your head low for like two years. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do. If you keep your head low, Bobby Petrino went back to Louisville. You can get away with it in college football. No other job in America, well, politics, but no other job in America could you get away with this, but this is what happens. So he's going to end up back in the SEC. And if you're an Ole Miss fan, that is the worst-case scenario because Hugh Freeze, had Hugh Freeze not gotten into his own way, could have been at Ole Miss as long as he wanted to be. He could have been the head coach forever. But Hugh Freeze couldn't get out of his own way. And now, much as you're as excited about Lane Kiffin as you are as an Ole Miss fan, 
You just hate and can't stomach the idea of Hugh Freeze at Auburn. I don't think Auburn hires him, but South Carolina, that makes a lot of sense. It really does. The golfing and all that. Same kind of reasons for Steve Spurrier. It just makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it could happen, and I do think you're right. Like you, you, I think you just soberly have to look at Freeze's kind of his his resume, and I think you know the the two things that'll be held against him a lot are obviously the the personal stuff with the phone calls, and then the NCAA violations. And I think both those things are trending. I, I think with the personal stuff, obviously, like you said, people make mistakes. You keep your head down for a few years. I think you know he can overcome that part pretty easily. Um, you know, the NCA violations might be a little bit tougher, but I think we continue to kind of move into an era where, you know, paying a player this or that or, or whatever indiscretions, you, you know, that's just not looked at as quite of the, the, the stigma isn't there like it used right. to be. Ed Orgeron right. is mean, going it, to have this stigma but does anybody really think that LSU is going to move on from Ed Orgeron right now? Not now. Right. Eventually. I mean, that barely, right. That barely even made a dent in what was going on. You know, in 2020, that was news for like 15 minutes and then everybody just moved on. So I, I, I do think um, that, that there's a way forward right there. And so I, it could happen and it's going to be really tempting just because Hugh Freeze plays an exciting brand of football He's, he's won at the SEC level. He's won in big games. I've always thought one of his best qualities was that, you know, when the games are, are tough and they're maybe the underdog that, that freeze usually rises to the occasion and he doesn't play scared and his play calling is really innovative. And you remember the games during those times. I mean, they were four hour heart attacks, but man, they were entertaining. Um, you know, and, and certainly, especially, I think a lot of times programs move in sort of the opposite direction of what they were. And with, with Muschamp being more of a, a defensive oriented coach to some degree and everything, I think Hugh Freeze is kind of the opposite of that sort of more like the, the Spurrier days. I, I can see it, but there's also going to be, it, it just depends on who's out there. Well, that's the thing. That's what comes back to as far as the coaching cycle, who's out there, who are the candidates and what are the jobs that are open because of the financial hardships that all of these colleges face. Here's one thing that we've heard. Hugh Freeze said that he was going to be the offensive coordinator at Auburn, but it got nixed by Greg Sankey. If you're a school, you don't really have to pay attention to Greg Sankey. You can hire who you want to hire. I know he's the commissioner, and I know that you voluntarily are a part of the SEC, but what is he going to do? Kick South Carolina out? No. If you want to make the hire, you can make the hire. I'm just saying that if you're looking... Oh, I think at this point, even Sankey wouldn't really stop it. I just think it was... because But time, I don't even think he can you know, stop it, though, David. I don't think he can well, stop no, it. Well, no, I, I agree, but it's one of those things, like, you have a certain amount of equity, there's relationships in the conference. Is it worth making the commissioner really mad to hire Hugh Freeze as your offense? Which goes back to my now, point, too. though, about when Ole Miss fired Hugh Freeze. At that point... What equity did you even have with Greg Sankey? I flipped on this. Now, my opinion about how Hugh Freeze handled things in the last couple of years has not changed. The circumstances in in and around when he was fired, my perception has changed with distance from it. But it's the same point that Greg Sankey, you had no equity with them then, and you fired him on what grounds other than, I mean, the obvious, but 
if you're looking at trying to curry favor with Greg Sankey or the NCAA, well, they screwed you anyway. Who cares? Yeah, I mean that. I I think that ship had had already sailed. I I with with the advantage of time and looking back on it, I understand your argument. Like because obviously the Matt Luke era was just kind of treading water for a couple of years, and you know, sort of just almost wasted time in a lot of ways. Um, but at at the time, I mean, there was so much pressure on that program anyway, just from all the outside forces, the NCAA. It was such kind of a pressure cooker. And, and there may have been some self-preservation involved as, as, with Ross Bjork, but I just think with the phone records, like if you remember, I mean, I know you remember that time. I just think, again, people, you have a balance of equity that they're and, and Ole Miss had spent a lot of capital, you know, staying by their man. And then finally with the phone records, it was just, everybody was kind of at their breaking point. And that's at the time. I mean, again, you can look back at it, maybe quibble with it, but I think at the time they did what they had to do. I'm not trying to relitigate it, but I'm just pointing now towards the Hugh Freeze conversation now and the coaching cycle now. I think there's going to be at least two jobs open up in the SEC. I don't think both of Tennessee and Auburn will come open. Tennessee would have to completely fall apart. Now, losing to Arkansas, and quite frankly, you're up 13 to nothing, and then Arkansas has a 24-point third quarter. That looks bad. You're supposed to win a game like that. Especially if you're a team, well, Tennessee. When Tennessee's you're, yeah. done that so many times. Yeah, you know, and you're a team so like, that's supposed just, to be on the rise, but yet Arkansas is the one that's doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? Right, and you just get smoked by Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's not like Kentucky's awesome this year. No, they're very average. And Auburn's not very good, but Gus. The problem with Gus is the money they would have to pay him, and in the era of COVID and the amount of financial hardship that is out there for all of these colleges, can you really get away with it? Auburn might be stuck with Gus. So it comes back to Freeze wouldn't go to Vanderbilt, but Tennessee and South Carolina, South Carolina, I think boom's gone. And I think their top candidate would be Hugh Freeze and how he would perform there. I don't know, but it's an interesting conversation nonetheless, but it comes back to a point in regards to Ole Miss, Keith Carter despite everything in the past of Lane Kiffin, had no problem going and hiring his guy. So if you're comfortable hiring Lane Kiffin, you should be equally as comfortable if you're South Carolina. Or say Lane Kiffin won out, and God forbid Texas came around and just threw Texas money at Lane Kiffin, and he decided to leave. This is just all you and me talking here. But now, if you're Keith, you want to go get freeze back? Go get freeze back. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter anymore. College football, we have taken the shine off of all the uh, you got to be a good representative of your university. You got to be a good model or role model for for, for um, your your team and your fans and all that kind of stuff. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Bobby Petrino went back to Louisville. Hugh Freeze is now like the super candidate for schools. Lane Kiffin is back in the SEC. Let's stop pretending like that stuff matters. This is football. This is cutthroat business. Go get a winner. That's where I'm at now. Well, I think, I, I mean, you would obviously like your coach to also be a decent representative, but you're right. I mean, you know, results matter, and results are the by far the biggest thing. And I do think, you know, if you're looking at – it's interesting you brought up Lane Kiffin because when you're talking about just SEC success and big wins, you know, Freeza's resume – 
as a head coach, you know, actually looks quite a bit better than Lane Kiffin's, um, you know, what he did. So, you know, you're, you're talking me into it. You're convincing me a little. I, I do think he would be a serious candidate at South Carolina. Well, here's a question for you. We both agree that Texas A&M is one of the top three teams in the SEC right now, maybe number two. I don't think Ole Miss is beating Texas A&M. But Ole Miss, regardless of how poorly it's played in some games, like Arkansas, has always been in those games in the fourth quarter. Every single game, Ole Miss has been in the game with the outcome in doubt in the fourth quarter. So let's just, for a hypothetical, say that Ole Miss wins out. I'm not thinking they're going to. I think they're going to go two and two. Maybe they go three and one because LSU's bad. Mississippi State is bad. If Vanderbilt is far and away the worst team in the SEC, is it really any argument that Mississippi State is second to last right now? Uh, well, especially, I mean, ever since that first, they just started out on such a high, and then we saw what happened with, with uh, you know, LSU obviously wasn't that great. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, you know, I'm just looking at the standings right now, especially the way they're playing right now. I, I think Mississippi State's the second worst team in the league. Okay, State, South Carolina would be 12 probably. LSU or Tennessee would be 11-10. Pick which way you want to put them. Kentucky, because Ole Miss beat them, would be nine. That makes Ole Miss probably eighth. You can maybe put them seventh in front of Missouri, but Ole Miss, that's the problem with the SEC this year. Ranking the SEC is almost impossible after you get past Arkansas at five because Georgia's number four, and then some mix of after Alabama, Florida, Texas A&M, two and three. So if Ole Miss is seventh or eighth, and they were off this week or last week, and now this week face South Carolina, let's just for a hypothetical say that Ole Miss wins out. I don't think it's going to happen again, but if they did win out, if we're talking about coaching candidates, hot coaching candidates, and we're talking oh, about be, yeah, six and yeah, four Lane Kiffin, there's no question. Yeah, turning it around an Ole Miss program that was you know struggling, like and and, and obviously the the most impressive thing about Ole Miss to me is exactly what you said. They've lost some games. They haven't always looked great. But they've been competitive, and you can tell just by watching that team, he is getting the most he can, or at least close to the most he can, out of that roster. Um, you know, there's not a lot of talent on, you know, there's a little bit of talent on defense, but obviously they need better players over on that side of the ball. But he's really, you know, he's taken Matt Corral and turned him into a really nice quarterback. Um, you know, there's just all the indicators outside of wins and losses, and even, you know, they've got a couple wins and I think they're going to get some down the stretch too. I think five and five is very doable at this point. And I think if Kiffin is five and five or, or six and four, there's going to be some, some teams take a serious look at him. If it, again, it depends on what jobs are open, but yeah, he's going to be a, a, a hot, hot name. That's my question. What are going to be the biggest jobs open? Do you think Texas comes open? Do I think so? I I mean, it wouldn't shock me. They're kind of stuck in neutral again, but I don't I don't know enough about that situation, obviously. But I think it's again in, in college football, it's definitely in the realm of possibility. Okay, do you think one of if you had to put your money on it, Texas or USC comes open? Well, USC is always in a spot. They got a big win, obviously, over Arizona State, but uh, 
I, I think the Pac-12 is less likely to make a move just because, you know, that season is going to be so messed up on the West Coast. Like, you know, some of those teams may only play four or five games. Um, so I, I guess I would say Texas, but um, there's there's just a lot. It's it's it, it's just such a weird year. But it's such a weird I, year because really, of the financial implications. But if you decide that okay, one of Texas, USC's coming open probably South Carolina, at least one of South Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee is coming open. So let's say South Carolina, Texas, South Carolina, Justin Fuente, I think he's done at Virginia Tech. I just think there's no way Virginia Tech continues on with Justin Fuente. So if Texas, South Carolina, Virginia Tech, for this hypothetical, come open, who are the hot coaching candidates? Because usually you can point to guys, right? You can say, okay, here's the rising star. Here's the guy. No, the guys that would be the hottest names are the established guys. And if you're Lane Kiffin at six and four or five and five at Ole Miss, if you're Hugh Freeze at Liberty, two Ole Miss coaches could potentially lead the way for being floated as candidates at the biggest jobs that that could potentially be open. Again, this cycle is going to be weird, but that's the way I kind of see it right now. Yeah, I, and I do think that in in a in a year of like we talk about again, it's so cliche, but there's just so much uncertainty right now. I think a lot of teams will be drawn to somewhat known commodities, especially if you're going to spend a lot of money in a you know you're you're just not going to be as willing to gamble, I don't think. And so you know Virginia Tech, you brought that up. That's an interesting one too, because obviously Liberty's just down the road. Um, you know that job might make some sense for Hugh Freeze. Um, and obviously that's a place where they've won, they've won big in the, in the fairly recent past. Um, so yeah, they, I, I'll be fascinated to see just like you, what comes open, what the market's like, what teams are drawn to, you know, if, if some of these teams, like I said, especially on the West coast, if you're in the pac 12 and you, you go like just throwing, I'm in Arizona, let's say Arizona has a disappointing year, you know, Kevin Sumlin's out. But, you know, how much weight do you put if you're Arizona on a two and three season? You know, their game was canceled this week. Like what what does that even prove one way or the other? Um, And so I I just think, you know, UCLA with Chip Kelly. So there's several things that make this year interesting. But I think some of the inequities between like the SEC is going to end up, I mean, playing a somewhat normal schedule, 10 regular season games, as long as everything works out the next few weeks. And that's a fairly good litmus test of like what you've got that year. Um, but, but some of these schools are, you know, going to play five, six, seven games. And, and I think it just becomes harder to evaluate. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit Ben on Twitter. I want to remind you, if you haven't already subscribed, rate, review Talk of Champions in iTunes. Also available in SoundCloud and Spotify. Just simply search Talk of Champions. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. Talk of Champions is brought to you in part by BNA Bank and Modern Woodman. Reason number 12 to bank at BNA. We are the bank for Northeast Mississippi. We have one home, Northeast Mississippi. Seeing this local Northeast Mississippi economy thrive and helping the people of our area with their borrowing needs is our only focus. From buying a home to starting your own business, we are the team of local lenders standing ready to make your dreams a reality. BNA Bank. We are the bank of Northeast Mississippi. Member FDIC. An equal housing lender. 
Are you tired of working 9 to 5 for 40 hours every week just to make money for someone else? Well, our sponsor of the Talk of Champions phone line is Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, and he's looking to hire new financial representatives here in Mississippi. No background experience is necessary, but you do have to be a resident of Mississippi. And what he's looking for is someone who is highly self-motivated and who wants to make a difference in the lives of others. A full-time position comes with benefits, such as health insurance, a matching 401k, and a pension plan. For more information, feel free to reach out to Thomas personally. You can find him on Facebook, or his number is 662-296-0186. That's 662-296-0186. That's Thomas Chandler of Modern Woodman, a proud sponsor of Talk of Champions. I had completely forgotten that Chip Kelly was UCLA. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, obviously, like when he was hired, remember that was the biggest thing in the world. Yeah, and he's, I mean, you know, they got beat by Colorado with, and I think somebody was saying their their quarterback was their safety last year or something like that, and Colorado rolled up 48 points on him. Um, you know, things aren't going well. <laughs> so that's another job that could obviously come open. But again, you know, with the, with the financial situations, with this abbreviated season, the Pac-12 is just such a mess right now because, you know, they waited forever to start playing. And then now two out of the six games were, were canceled the first week. And because they started so late, they don't have any time to make up the games. And so, you, you know, I, it's feasible. There's some teams that'll only play three, four games. When you look at Ole Miss – in the first year of Lane Kiffin at two and four, how do you evaluate things from afar in Arizona when you look at Ole Miss? Because this is a team you used to cover. Well, I, like I, I mean, I kind of said it earlier. I just think that all the indicators from a program building standpoint are good. Obviously, they need more talent, especially on defense. They're just they're not quite SEC caliber on that side of the ball specifically, but they're scoring a lot of points. They're, they're getting a lot out of the players on the roster, everything, you know, they play hard. You can see the plan. You know what I mean? Sometimes when you see a team go out there, you're like, they a, either have no idea what they're doing, or if they do know what they're doing, it's a bad idea. I mean, in every game, and I've watched at least probably half of every game Ole Miss has played. Yeah. You know, they, they have looked like they had a plan. Sometimes it didn't work uh, because of talent, because of 19 year olds making mistakes, but um, you know, generally speaking, I, I really think Lane Kiffin has done, especially considering the circumstances of the weird year, um, you know, trying to recruit in this environment has obviously not been easy. Um, but I, I think that the, the way they're playing will be attractive to recruits. I, I think that given the situation, Lane Kiffin's done pretty close to as good as he could have done with the caveat, like you said, you'd like to get at least that Arkansas or Auburn game one or the other, but I mean, things. I, if I were an Ole Miss fan right now, I would feel pretty good about where things were headed. I don't want to in any way cast doubt on anything, but it's at least worth bringing up here because you covered college football from a very uh, national perspective. So Lane Kiffin has not stayed anywhere longer than three years. So if you're Ole Miss, are you operating on the three-year timeline? Now he said in his press conference the right thing about being at Ole Miss long-term. Hey, look at my buyout. But if you're an Ole Miss fan and you're looking at the encouraging signs of the offense, I don't necessarily look at the recruiting right now. They're ranked in the 50s. But I think our entire perception of how we look at recruiting is going to be changed by the one-year granted penalty-free transfer that starts in January. And I think Ole Miss will be one of the very most aggressive teams 
in the transfer market. But when you're looking at it through the lens of past history, do you look at Lane Kiffin as a three-year guy at Ole Miss, or do you see him as a long-term fixture? That's, I think, a really tough question to answer right now. But what we know about Lane Kiffin is established. The question is, does that change at Ole Miss? Yeah, that's, you know, I, I kind of liken it back to when I covered Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. I, I think, you know, Mullen, everybody was always, Fisher River, there was always where, oh, Dan Mullen doesn't like Mississippi State that much. He wants to leave so badly. I, I don't think that was true. And I, and I don't, without, I knew Dan Mullen a little bit. I don't know Lane Kiffin very well, but just looking at it from the outside, um, I, I think Ole Miss is a really good job, but there are a handful of jobs out there that are better. You know, I mean, just from, a, I think that most people would say from a national perspective are better. Like if a Texas or a USC came up, that's what I was, you know, I was like, everybody would be like, is Dan Mullen leaving Mississippi state? I was like, I, he could, if there, there's probably 10 or 15 jobs out there nationally that he would leave for. It doesn't mean he hates Mississippi state or doesn't think it's a good job. It's just, he thinks there's 10 or 15 better. And I think the same is going to be the case with Lane Kiffin. I, I don't think he's really looking to leave that badly. I don't think that he wants to make any sort of sideways move. I think he thinks Ole Miss can win. Um, but if, one of those top five or 10 national jobs came open, uh, it'd be really hard not to listen. And so um, I, I think that's kind of, you know, if you're old Miss, that's, I know it's frustrating, but it's also a good problem to have because it means your program's doing something good. So I, I don't think if you're old Miss, you operate under any sort of three year or this many year plan. You know, everybody said every year that Dan Mullen was leaving Mississippi state and he stayed there, what, eight or nine years. Um, you know, I, I think that this, I, I, I think that Lane Kiffin, just again from the outside, knows he's got that Ole Miss has some really good things there and that you can win there. So he's not leaving just to leave. But with anyone, especially somebody ambitious and that has moved before, like, you know, if the right opportunity came up, yeah, I mean, he, he would move on. The issue is Florida was always that job for Dan Mullen. That job for Lane Kiffin was USC. And there's no way that that's happening again. Yeah, no, that, that, that seems very, very unlikely. Um, and, and, but there was, you know, it wasn't like Florida was the only job. Now it was certainly, it was the job though. It's the one he really wanted. Right. I mean, but there was also, you know, talk about Michigan and Penn state. I mean, there was a, but yeah, Florida was a perfect fit. It it worked out. Scott Strickland was over there too, on top of that, not to mention obviously Mullins passed as the, the offensive coordinator there, but you know, that, that all worked out perfectly, but you know, there was, there were jobs that, that Mullen would have left for. And I, I just think the same thing with Kiffin. I don't think there are many, and I think it would have to be, you know, one of those where you just kind of hand the blank check, but there's a handful of schools that can do that. And if they want to do it for Lane Kiffin, then, you know, it, it's going to be tough to turn down. All right. If Sam Pittman is coach of the year and Mac Jones is player of the year, who is freshman of the year? Who is, I don't, I know we don't hand this out, but comeback player of the year. Who's surprise team of the year? Oh, that's a, let me look. I 
you know, as far as freshmen, I just don't know the league quite as much as I've, I have in the past. So you would, you would probably be better on that surprise team of the year. Like they're really, I mean, other than Arkansas being, you know, surprisingly competitive, yeah. LSU has been a surprise, but for the wrong reasons. And that's okay. Um, we can I, include that in this uh, award ceremony we're doing right now. And I don't even know if it's been necessarily, because everybody thought LSU was going to regress a little bit, but I just think it's been such a huge drop. And now they've got Alabama coming up. They still got Texas A&M. They still got Florida and they're, they got to go to Arkansas. You know, I mean, and then they're home with Ole Miss, but none of those games are easy. Um, you know, that's been the most surprising thing. It's like, yes, I thought LSU would take a step back, but you know, when you win a national title and do it as dominantly as you did, yes, you do. You'd have to figure some things out at quarterback and everything like that. But I just, you know, I, LSU went from one, literally one of the greatest years in college football history to a below average SEC team. And that's, that's a pretty huge drop. So, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it reminds me, you know, I keep going back to being in Mississippi, but remember when Southern Miss went from 10 and two with Austin Davis to mm-hmm. 0 and 12. Yeah. It, that was, that's like, that's still like, that's the only time a team ever in college football history has won double digits. And then who was the, who was the defensive the coordinator year. they hired from um, South Carolina? What was his name? Ellis Johnson. And everybody thought that was a good hire. Well, it seemed, I mean, that was amazing. It really was. Cause Ellis Johnson was a good dude. Everybody wanted it to work out, but I, I've never seen such a, a, a poor fit. I mean, you know, they hired Tommy West, remember was the offensive coordinator, yeah. um, you know, guys that had had some success. They hired, I think, that Pearl High School uh, or Petal High School coach. Just to get, uh, the high just coach. to get um, Anthony Offer. And they got him. Yes. Yes. And it just, like, I, I've just never seen a situation spiral so quickly. Um, you know, but that, that was that was bizarre. But, yeah, I always, you know, because I think Alice Johnson is a good coach. He's just some people – are, are really good coordinators and just shouldn't be head coaches. And that was, that uh, was apparently the case, at least for that season at, at Southern Miss. I wonder if that's not part, at least of the thinking of Brett Venerables. He should be a head coach by now. Oh yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I think there's probably some of that. You never know like how they do in interviews some guys, I mean, to be quite honest, like being a coordinator and just, you know, unless the job really is, you know, cause he makes a lot of money. Um, he's in a really stable situation. He can afford to be choosy. Um, especially if you, if you don't mind, you know, cause some people, the, I don't want to say ego or, or the drive, cause I'm, you know, I'm sure Brett Venables is a, is a driven <laughs> individual to, to rise as high as he has in his profession. But some people, you know, they understand a good situation when they have it and they don't need that ego lift to be in a higher situation. So I still think at some point he will get that job, sort of like a, a Charlie strong situation where it took a long time, but he finally did get a job. Um, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's really interesting that, that he's stayed a coordinator as long as he has. Well, look at Dave Aranda by Ed Baylor. They're eighth in the uh, big 12 right now. One and four. Sometimes 
being the highest paid at your position is enough. And Charlie Strong, I don't know if he's ever going to get another job. I do think this, though, going back to our original conversation about the coaching cycle, I do think if there are a few more jobs that come open that we didn't expect, it's going to be a lot like those cycles in the NFL, which you cover now, where you're going to see a lot of recycled coaches. Because like you said, being risk-averse in the era of COVID, just being competitive enough will be enough because of the financial situation. Can you go seven and six, three years in a row? Who is David Cutcliffe? Go find David Cutcliffe to come in and win seven games for three years straight and then get back to the place of, now we're going to go for it. I think you're going to see a lot of recycled coaches. Like Charlie Strong, I think, could get another job this year. Yeah, I think there's – yeah, I mean, you put it really well. I just think there's going to be some teams – just look at the the current cycle and say, Hey, can we get a guy that we know sort of like, you know, back in the day when Houston Nutt got hired at old. Oh Nutt, God. You, know, you, kind of, you, well, you knew what Houston Nutt was at that point. You know, I mean, if he had a good team, he could get you nine and three. And see, that's um, what I want to say about you know, Ed Orgeron. Ed Orgeron was asked, I think on a part of my take, and I love that podcast, but I think recently was talking about Ole Miss And he talked about how he and his staff celebrated when they were fired. And it's like, dude, Houston Nutt, Houston Nutt, who we all agree arrived at Ole Miss, at the very least, if you're going to be a critic of Houston Nutt, at the very least, as nicely as you can put it, he arrived without his fastball. And he took your talent to -to back-to-back cotton balls. That's an indictment on you. That's on you. So, yeah, you can celebrate and say, well, the Ole Miss era was so terrible and we were so thankful to get out of there. You created that environment. You're the one that had the team practicing during a rain delay of a game. <laughs> you did that. Yeah. Yeah, the, what was that, the Wake Forest game? Yeah, the, we were there. The you and I were there, game. buddy. That was, Well, that was actually the year before I started oh, to okay. beat. I covered the Wake Forest game at Wake Forest. Um, that next year when they lost on that last second field goal. Yeah. Um, was that the but, one where Kendrick Lewis whiffed on the sack? That sounds right. Yeah. A lot of football has happened since yeah. then, but that was a game where Ole Miss, you know, did everything they could except win the game. You know, they, they really looked good in a lot of ways. They somehow had lost that game. Um, but I, you know, Orgeron and Ole Miss, I kind of go back and forth on this a little bit as far as like fit and things like that. But I do think sometimes the fit's just not very good. And Ed Orgeron at Old this just didn't work out very well. And and he was a young coach and he was, or a young ish coach and, you know, made a lot of mistakes as we talked about. It did just, you know, in the money situation, that was different. That was before the SEC network, you know, Ole Miss, had some catching up to do facility wise, but you know, they have pretty much done that now for the most part. So, you know, I, I think it was one of those things that didn't work out for either side. And I understand why Ed was, wasn't shedding a ton of tears to get out of there, but I'm also <laughs> understand why Ole Miss wasn't sharing, shedding a ton of tears. And I do, and I do think it is an indictment that, you know, Houston immediately just kind of waltzed in with his gunslinger type thing and immediately takes all your talent. You know, and, you know, because you remember him talking to us on the side. He'd be like, how did they go three and nine? How did they go oh and eight in the right? SEC with all these players? He would you say know, this. And, We'd and be standing were- there at practice. And look, 
you and I, our relationship with Houston Nut, with anybody's relationship with Houston Nut other than Chuck, was up and down. But Houston would always come over during practices because he didn't do anything else but just walk around and act Houston nutish. And he'd come over and talk to us, and he would say stuff like that, that like, how did this team lose that many games? The funniest one was when he was standing there. It was the 5 a.m. practice. Y'all weren't there. It was just me and Chuck. He walked over, and Demario Marr is going through stretches or a, a drill or something in front of him. And he looks back at us and goes, how is he on an SEC roster? That's my favorite Houston Nut story. <laughs> but you're right. For the most part, the talent was there, and he was just shocked that they lost so many games. Yeah, I think my favorite one, what he was talking about, and I feel bad because I don't know this uh, fullback, but you remember they had a, Jason Cook was the starting yes. fullback, yeah. and he was hurt, and they had a guy named Andy Hartman who was not a bad <laughs> player, and he played some. Yeah. And then – they were both hurt and somebody, maybe you asked, they were like, you were like, Houston, if, if both those guys can't go, who's your third fullback? And Houston kind of looked at us with wide eyes and he goes, Ben, Ben, a, Ben, a, Ben, a, Ben, a, Ben, a, remember it was Ben Benedetto. And he was, he, he was like, I don't, he's like, I hope we don't have to get down to our third fullback. Yeah. So Ben, uh, ben, ben, ben not going to, not going to work here anymore. Right. <laughs> not going to, not gonna not gonna work here anymore anyway. So anyway, but Houston, I will say Houston could be infuriating for fans and everything. But I have nothing but because Houston, the only thing when you are a reporter, you want somebody who's accessible, um, and and he was accessible. He would he would text, um, you know, you could call him, stuff like that. And so you know, I I I really always appreciated Houston because usually you could get a hold of them. So. Um, but yes, he could be, I, I like your Houston nutish type ways. He, he, at practice, he was very nutish. Well, the industry's changed though, David, to where now you don't even oh, need no that question. accessibility anymore, right? To do well, your like job COVID, well. COVID's just accelerated, you know, and everything. I mean, obviously, you know, the days of really, I don't want to say we like palled around with Houston, but you could have like a casual conversation with him, like pretty regularly. Um, and again, I think a lot of that has to do with, with the network, that's, that's where it changed with me because every interaction with a player or a coach had to be in front of, you know, the, the backdrop of the, the school screen and all that stuff. And everything was much more um, just structured where, you know, before that, remember, we would just go on the field after practice and, you know, the, the SIDs would be like, who do you want to talk to today? And with some exceptions, we could get usually who we wanted to. And you would, there'd just be five or six of us standing around, talking to somebody that was just a conversation instead of, you know, here, put this shirt on, put this hat on, you know, stand in front of the backdrop. And it's got to be this big, you know, kind of made for TV event. You kind of got to know people. Remember, remember, were you there when um, Hugh Freeze, his first practice as Ole Miss head coach, brought out that big box. I think he had one of his um, team managers do it, bring out this big box and drop it in front of all the media, and it's all this old Miss gear, and he just says, hey, guys, grab what you want. And all of us were kind of mortified by that. Just, uh... Even Chuck. <laughs> and Chuck wears old Miss stuff every day, all day. I'm not knocking it. It's just, it was a really awkward thing. And we were all kind of standing there like, uh, don't know, I'm good. Hard pass. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. That was one of the most, one of the more awkward moments. Like, uh, I'm okay, man, but thanks you. Um, yeah, no, thanks. But, I'm good. Uh, right. So, 
but anyway, you just miss those, you know, I mean, it's just harder to have any sort of, you know, it's like, how's your relationship with, with this coach? It's like, well, I mean, really other than getting on zoom and asking questions occasionally, I don't have much of a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. You you got to, there's got to be proximity. You got to get to know each other a little bit. There's got to be, See, I've been fine with, know, with like Kiffin that. because Kiffin, I think is the same. If we were doing it on zoom or if we were doing it, just hanging out at practice, I think he's going to be the exact same person. Like I've been completely fine. If sure. you need, if you need access to do your job well, these days, you're you're doomed. You're doomed. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just a different era. But it, I, I think it's it makes it less interesting. You know, I was that I absolutely agree with. On, yes. Somebody made reminded me of a story on Twitter a couple months ago, and I had totally forgotten about it. But there was I was at a that sushi place, Kabuki, in that shopping center. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay, I was there, and this was. It's hard to believe, but it was a long time ago. It was before children, so 11 years ago, probably, something like that. And me and Emily were sitting there eating sushi. We liked that place. And in walked Houston Nutt, his wife, and at least a couple of his daughters. Um, And, you know, they sat down a couple tables away, and Houston saw me and kind of waved, and I just walked over there real quick. I was like, how y'all doing? You know, and said hi. And then I was like, I didn't think you'd be much of a sushi guy. And he goes, I'm not. And he pulled out a bag of Abner's from underneath his oh table and sat there and ate chicken strips while his, his family ate sushi. Because <laughs> he was just like, and it's just, it just little things like that. And I laughed and, you know, he thought it was hilarious. You know, he had that look on his face like, you know, and everything. So, um, and I, I just think that makes things more interesting. Uh, I do too. Because you know, one example of that. your existence. Yeah. David Huertas. Yeah. You know, I mean, like you, you get a little bit of the, you know, Jerome Poe talking about wrecking catfish buffets and stuff like that. Yeah. Or when like, I sat there with Wayne Dorsey and because he's from Baltimore and the wire was so popular, just talking about the wire for so long, for like an hour. Yeah. Miss that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you a window and, and the players are more comfortable with you then and, and are more likely. Yeah. To, I'm, I'm still friends with a lot of these yeah. guys, man. I mean, they were my age when I broke in. You remember that? Well, especially back, you know, like I know you and Kentrell Lockett um, have done, you know, all those guys. I mean, we got to know their their personalities. We knew them a little bit. And I mean, you know, it's not like as a reporter, you don't want to be like best friends with players. That's not what it's about. But you do want to be in a situation where you're comfortable enough and trust each other enough that you're able to get you know good information, whether it's about whether it's assistant coaches and recruiting or whatever it is. But, I, you know, things change stuff happens but yeah well it, it's a disservice to the missed. kids though like a laramie tunsil because then he gets into his situation and because he hasn't been prepared because you've not allowed any access to the guy or just to get him familiar with the media isn't the enemy where i mean if you watch laramie now it's incredible he's an incredible media presence you would have never guessed that by what happened on draft night and then what the reason why draft night happened the way it was is because of how old miss treated that kid with kid gloves. I certainly don't. Yeah. I certainly don't think it helped. And, and it doesn't, you know, cause we had talked with Laramie a couple times, like off to the side and we knew he was, you know, he was a smart guy and his teammates liked him a lot. I remember at the AP our uh, when he got drafted by the dolphins, our Miami writer, one of them uh, emailed me and he was like, Oh man, he's like, what, what did Miami get here? Do you think, you know, this is going to be a bust? And I was like, dude, I was like, Unless I'm really mistaken here, I think Laramie's going to be like a 13-year NFL player, yeah. like seven-time All-Pro, 
like maybe not all pro, but pro bowl, you know, a couple all pros, stuff like that. I was like, I think he's going to have a really good career. I mean, he was like, really? I was like, yeah, I was like, I, you know, yeah, it's been weird what happened. I, but his teammates really like him as coaches. I, I think he's going to be a good pro. So for once, I think I turned out to be somewhat right on that one. Yeah, you did. And, and not only is he an incredible media presence, negotiated his own contract. I mean, this was a fascinating human being. Fascinating. And we didn't get to talk to him very much because at that point, access to players and actually getting to tell their stories was limited. I'm not going to complain, though, because it's just changed. It's different now. And that's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we could, we could, you know, like old man yells at cloud. Yeah, we're we're not going to do that. We're just, but we can at least, you know, be nostalgic about some of those fun times. Well, and we fun. can, we can identify the differences, you know, in coverage. And, and I do think the fans lose something on that. And, and just to be on a selfish perspective, it makes it a little less fun for us. Yeah. It but, breaks uh, the monotony. Cause now it's uh, pretty much the same thing every day before I let you go. I didn't expect to keep you for the entire hour. To be honest, I was going to only have David on as the guest, but I miss my friend and it's always fun to talk to you. So before we get out of here then, cause you have now been the entire episode of talk of champions. Um, do you think Ole Miss gets South Carolina this weekend? Here's the better question. Would it be disappointing if Ole Miss didn't get South Carolina this weekend? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what, what's the Vegas line? Ole Miss opened, I think as a 14 and a half point favorite. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's about right. I mean, South Carolina just got thumped by Texas A&M and I know I am pretty good, but 48 to three, you know, and I mean, you know, I, I, I think that if, if they don't, I mean, at, at this point, Ole Miss is not in any position to take any win for granted, but I think they should win and win somewhat easily, especially since that game's at home. So, yeah, I think it would be a, a big let out if they, if they lost that game. There's four games left, South Carolina, Texas A&M, LSU, Mississippi State. I keep mixing up LSU, Mississippi State. Mississippi State is first, and then Ole Miss ends the season with LSU. That will never not be weird. But that's so weird. <laughs> it's so weird. So what is your overall finish prediction for Ole Miss? Three and one, too optimistic? I don't think so. I mean, like the, the easy thing to do here is to kind of split the difference. I think they beat South Carolina. I think they lose to Texas A&M. And then you just kind of say you split Mississippi State and LSU. But I actually think Ole Miss is good enough and should win three of four. I mean, you know, the Texas A&M game's really, really tough. They'd have to play an incredible game to win that one. But I, I think that, you know, all indicators are pointing that Ole Miss can win three or four and go five and five this year. I think that's a really attainable goal right now. Going to LSU to end the year will be tough. LSU's not good, but it's going to LSU. And I don't know how many fans are allowing into the stadium, but that's always a tough place to play. I honestly believe this. Now, Mississippi State has owned the Egg Bowl recently, but this Mississippi State team is a mess. A mess. That's a game, if you're a team on the rise, if you're a Lane Kiffin team that is selling momentum, you have to win that game. Yeah, that's a big game. Because losing, like you said, losing at LSU, even though LSU isn't that great this year, that's excusable. It's, It's at LSU. You know, they still have talent, all that stuff. You know, Mississippi State has really struggled. You've got that game at home. It's your in-state rival. Again, you're trying to sell momentum, those types of things. I think that – I mean, the Egg Bowl is always big, but that's – it's it's a 
it's a pretty big one this year. And really, you know, the deal is though for Mississippi state, that's going to be a big game for them too, because they're trying to do the same thing. So um, I, I, I'm definitely watching that game because I think it's going to be a good one. I think Ole Miss will get Mississippi state's best shot because that's going to be a really important game for both schools. Yeah. We're talking about Ole Miss being seventh or eighth in the sec. They're two and four Mississippi state is two and four. The only difference Mississippi State beat Vanderbilt 24 to 17. Ole Miss beat Vanderbilt 54 to 21. So you would expect Ole Miss to have that momentum, but you can't really say that. But I want to get out of here with this. Mike Leach, the experiment. Now, Mike Leach has always been a popular man on Ole Miss message boards. Whenever there would be any hint of a potential change at head coach, Mike Leach, there was a faction that was all about bringing Mike Leach to Ole Miss, bringing him to the SEC. Now that you've seen him through six games, it's not really fair because it's covid and it's his first year. And Mike Leach, I think sometimes in most situations, it starts this way. Do you buy him long term or do you think the fit's going to be a little bit too strange for that to succeed? I, I buy him long term as long as you understand what Mike Leach is and what he has been his whole career. I think, you know, right now you're looking at a situation where the roster doesn't necessarily totally fit what he wants to do. And I think if you give him a couple of years, he will build a roster that fits what he wants to do. And is pretty good. But, you know, I, I think that at Washington state at Texas tech, the Mike Leach experience is just that you win some big games like that game. And I understand with perspective. Now we know LSU is not that good, but there's some huge highs and there's some incredible lows where you score two points against Kentucky. Um, you know, and, and, and I think Leach's teams, even when he gets the roster where he wants it to be, there's going to be some awesome wins and just some inexplicably gross losses. Um, and so if you're okay with going, you know, seven and five, eight and four, six and six, you know, it'd be competitive, but kind of always being, I, I just, there's nothing in Mike Leach's resume, even though I really like him as an offensive coach that I really think he's going to compete for a lot of championships there. But as long as if you just want winning seasons, I think he can accomplish that there. He's David Brandt at David Brandt AP. Works for the AP as a reporter in Phoenix. He covers the Cardinals, the Suns, the D-backs. But for this podcast, he covered the SEC. It's like going back in a time machine for you. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. It's a lot of fun. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.